You turn your Bibles over to Ecclesiastes chapter 10. Ecclesiastes chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 2. If we all will stand together as we read verse 2 and 3 here in Ecclesiastes. And if you find Ecclesiastes the first time, you get bonus points going into 2024. This is what it reads. We're just going to read a couple verses. It says, A wise person chooses the right road. A fool takes the wrong one. You can identify fools just by the way they walk down the street. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for a new year in which you've given us. And I pray that every single one of us will choose to follow you, you with all their heart, soul, and mind in 2024. That we will make much of Jesus. That we will remember that it's not about us, it's about you. And I pray that any worries, cares that we have going on in our lives, that we'll give them to you. I pray that we will make goals. I pray that we will look forward. I pray that we will choose wisely and not walk down the road of which a foolish person walks, but we'll walk the one of righteousness. And God, God, I pray that we'll let your Holy Spirit fill us, guide us, and direct us. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. It's said that, that when it comes to a significant amount of regret, regret, if we can get the main lights on here, that'd be wonderful as well. Thank you. When it comes to, when it comes to regret, or Americans... Usually, around 20% of people, when they were polled, said that their regrets involved romance. When it came to family, about 17% of people had regret concerning family. 14% when it came to education. Their career was about 13%. Finances, around 10%. Parenting, around 9%. And um, being a Browns fan, like 50%. That was what I read that some, somewhere. I may have added that last part. But each and every year, we have choices in which we make. Every day. Every day, there's, there's some choices that are little. That, there's some choices we don't think are very significant. And there's choices that we know that are major. Maybe it's a choice of, of, uh, between a good job and another job. And we're uncertain of what to do. Maybe it's a choice between um, to sell a house and buy a new home. Maybe it's a choice between... Um, to help somebody, not help somebody. We have so many choices in which we make, and some impact our lives more than others. More than others. You know, there's times in which we, um, we choose the wrong word, or we choose the wrong thing to say, or we think to ourselves moments later, maybe, maybe I'm sure I'm not the only one who does this, um, you realize moments later you had the perfect thing to say. But that moment and that time has, is already gone. You can't go back and go, you know what? I remember what I was going to say. And say that to the person. God in his sovereignty has given us free will. Now, free will means that God gives humans the opportunity to make choices that genuinely affect their destiny. And human beings have Free will. And the world's current state in which it's in, which is a sinful state, is directly linked to the choices Adam and Eve made. God, when he made all that he made, he sat back and he looked and he called it good. And it was good. It was perfect. But Adam and Eve sinned. And when they sinned, they brought death and destruction on all of mankind. And we've been dealing with sin ever since. Sometimes people will look at God and go, God, why did you create me? Why did you make me? And God always has his reasons for us being here. But at the end of the day, we make the choice to sin. We make the choice to do right or to do wrong. And sometimes we like to blame God for all the wrongs in which we experience. Some are our own fault. Some things are just what we were born into and we can't help those. That's true. We do live in a world where we are affected by the choices of other people around us. Sometimes it's our parents, sometimes it's our grandparents, sometimes it's people we've never met, and we're affected by that free will choice in which someone 
uh, chose wrong, or they chose to do what is right. Now, free will, free will does not mean that mankind can do anything that he pleases. Now, a man or a woman can choose that I'm going to walk across that bridge, and they walk across that bridge. But a man or woman cannot go, you know what, I think I'll just flap my wings and I'll fly across that bridge. Of course not. You're limited. You're limited uh, when it comes to your free will. Your natural nature prevents you from flying. And so what man cannot choose is to make himself righteous. You cannot simply earn your salvation. You cannot simply just um, cancel your own sin, cancel your own guilt. We're limited. We need help. See, this limitation is not mitigated or, or that we suddenly are not accountable for our choices in our life. There are some things that, that we cannot help, but there are some things in our life in which we, um, um, we can't help and that we can't help. You know, in God's Word, we see that God chose Israel, but the people individually in Israel had to make their own choice when it came to obedience. And even though God had chosen Israel, God was going to use Israel, um, when we read in the New Testament about Abraham and his faith, it shows and it reads that, that God accounted Abraham's faith unto his righteousness. And that in Israel, individuals had to make the choice to choose to reject, to obey, to disobey. And, and so... Even then, individuals outside of Israel were able to choose to believe or not believe. For example, Ruth and Rahab, who were Gentiles. Now, maybe you're like, what's a Gentile? Maybe you're new to church. Really, in the Bible, there's Gentiles and there's the Jewish people. And unless you're Jewish or partial Jewish, then you're a Gentile, like me. I'm a Gentile. Now, maybe you took one of the DNA tests and you found out, hey, I'm 3% Jewish or I'm 2% Jewish. You're still a Gentile, all right? That's what, what you are. That's what you are. But we see throughout the New Testament, we see time and time again where we are told, and those who are reading it, the Scripture for the first time, we're told to repent and believe. And every call to repent is a call to choose. The command to believe assumes that the hearer can choose to obey the command. Jesus identified the problem of some unbelievers when he told them in John 5.40, You refuse to come to me to have life. So clearly they could, ha could have come if they wanted to. Their problem was they chose not to. We see a principle in scripture in Galatians chapter 6 that that. A man reaps what he sows. That God won't be mocked, that we reap what we sow. We've heard it put a different way, that what goes around comes around. Sometimes people will say, well, that's karma. And we know what they mean, basically what goes around comes around. Now, the interesting thing about karma, which is in Hinduism and Buddhism, it actually stands for something completely else something else. It's not a, there is no instant karma in Buddhism and Hinduism. In fact, a lot of the karma in those two religions have to deal whether you come back as, a, um, as an elephant, a human being, a roach, or worse, a cat, like of what you come back as. So the better you are, the good ones come back as dogs, right? We can all agree on that. Yes. But this year in 2024, what are some choices in which every believer should make? Now, first off, if you're here and you've not started a relationship with Christ, the best decision you could ever make in 2024 is to repent of your sins and put your faith and belief in Jesus Christ and start a relationship with him. And, you know, he loves you just the way you are, but I want you to know something. He's not going to let you stay the way you are. That's, that's not how Jesus works. It's not, 
you get a little bit of Jesus, you get your get out of hell fire insurance card, and you go live how you want. It's not how Jesus works. Maybe that's the salvation you thought you received. That's not the one in the Bible. The one in the Bible is you count the cost, you count the cost, and what are you going to do with Jesus? And you say, but there might be some things I need to give up in my life that I know Jesus is not going to want that for it to be there. I can't have that in my life anymore. Yes. Yes. Count the cost. Jesus gave a story, and I talked about this a little bit the last time I preached a couple weeks ago. There was one rich young ruler. He's like, I'm a good person. I do all the right things. And um, surely I'll get into heaven. And Jesus is like, you know what? I, I, I know what it is here. You love your riches so much. You actually, in fact, you love them more than, more than God. Why don't you sell everything you own, then you can follow me. And it says he turned away and he went away sad. What if Jesus asked you to give up everything to follow him? Would you do it? I know it's easy to go, yeah, of course I would. But what if, what if, what if the Lord taps you on the shoulder and says, hey, I want you to go into ministry. I, I want you to be a missionary. And you go, but I, I have a career in mind. But I, I have this in mind. But I, I Jesus, I want to do what I want to do. Like, Jesus, like, this is not, it's not what I signed up for. See, you're supposed, Jesus, you're supposed to mold yourself to what I want to do and my will. Not the other way around. And when you read the Bible, you go, uh-oh. Uh-oh. I can't find a Bible verse where it says, you know what? God's going to make sure that he does everything I ask him to do the way I want him to do it and that I need to be focused on my will and not his. And you realize, you realize that there are some things you might have to give up. You know what I gave up when I got saved? And I decided, you know what, I'm going to go in the ministry. I'm going to, I, I, I gave up, um, decided, you know, Lord, I'm going to accept you as my Savior. But then there was a point in time in my teenage years where God's like, you know what, I have more for you, Lucas. And I, I want you to go into ministry. And I'm like, I don't know if I want to do that. I don't, I, God, I can't get up and speak in front of people. You know, I can't, I can't do that. And I see that time and time again. And it makes me chuckle a little bit because I've had people in the past where um, I asked them to, um, not in this church, but I'm sure it'll be, it, people are the same almost wherever you go. But I remember I was in Florida and I uh, asked somebody, hey, um, can you teach, help be one of the, the, the teachers for one of the um, uh, children's church like weeks? Can you do that? Oh, I can't do that. I said, well, can you help in it? And they help in it. And they end up helping, and then a couple months later, they come to me and say, you know what? I've been in there helping, and I realize it's not that intimidating as what I thought it would be. And you know what it was? They're sitting there going, you know, pastor asked me to teach this, and I can do better than them. <laughs> now, that may sound a little self-confident, but what it is, is the Holy Spirit working on them. When I was a youth pastor in Richmond, Indiana, I had a couple, they were our friends, still our friends. And they're like, hey, will you help us in youth? Yeah, but don't you ask me to teach anything. Okay. Next thing you know, they're leading a, a small group in youth, and they're talking, and they're teaching and loving on these kids. And they're like, this is great. I'm so glad I did this. You see it time and time again. It's the same with you. Sometimes we're just afraid. Sometimes we're just afraid. And this doesn't dovetail well at all into my first point. But here's the first point I want to get into, is that we have choices we all need to make in our lives as Christians. And some of them are tough. Some of them are difficult. And the first one we have here I want to get into is choose a healthy lifestyle. The preacher, I don't like this point. I just gained 10 pounds over the holidays. And your first point for 2024 is choose a healthy lifestyle. Yes, it is. Now, I will say that um, all the cookies everyone brought to the office the last couple weeks did not help with this point. I will say this, I haven't eaten much of the cooking here at Springboro, but you all can definitely, definitely bake. So A plus bakers here. 
This is what it says in Proverbs chapter 23. And it warns us. It warns us. It says, Do not join those who drink too much wine or gorge themselves on meat. For drunkards and gluttons become poor, and drowsiness clothes them in rags. Then Proverbs 23 verse 2 says, Put a knife to your throat if you are given to gluttony. So there's not one of us that doesn't love to eat. Now, I've learned that some people, they don't like chocolate. I'm praying for you. Your life must be miserable. There's some of us that remember what we ate on our first or second date. My wife is that way. I remember the place. I remember where we went. I remember what we did. And she will go, you know, I remember eating such and such and such and such on our third date. And I'm like, I don't even remember where we went on our third date. Some people can remember certain things. We all love food. But there's a balance when it comes to a healthy lifestyle. You know, when it comes to gluttony, especially in Baptist churches, I'm just saying, I grew up Baptist, all right? It's not something you very hear often touched on. We don't like to talk about that. Uh, there's some of us that, that food comforts us. Let me, th- let me rephrase that. Food comforts all of us. But sometimes we end up running to, to, instead of running to Jesus with some of our problems and some of our past issues, some will run to alcohol. Some will run to, you know, whatever vice it is in their life. But some will definitely run to food. Now, it's one thing when the Bible speaks about gluttony. It's not talking about we ate a little more than normal during the holidays. That's not what it's talking about. It's not talking about, hey, you know what? That one meal, I ate way too much. But something consistently we do that we're running to, instead of running to the Lord, and we're eating more than what we should, making choices that are not healthy in our lives, this is something that the Bible is warning us about. It's, it's almost as one of those guardrails in which God puts up, not to block us, not to make our lives miserable, but to keep us on the right road. That scripture says we don't need to veer off onto this road. So being able to control our eating habits, we are probably also, if we're unable to control our eating habits, we're probably unable to control other habits, such as what we think on, from lust to anger, unable to keep our mouths from gossiping and causing strife. You see, usually... When we're not disciplined, even in this area, there's some other area as well in which we're not disciplined in either. And so the ability to say no to anything in excess is self-control. And see, self-control is, is a fruit of the Spirit. When you read it there in Galatians 5, that self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. And when the Lord, as the Holy Spirit, works on every one of us, and we also do want to give ourselves some grace, I I get that, because this body is bent towards sin, and there's a constant battle between what the flesh wants, right, and what the Spirit of God wants. That's normal. It's not abnormal. And and self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. And God has blessed us with so much in our country, especially when it comes to food. And there are some countries, there are some places in which, yeah, they don't know. They don't know when they're getting their next meal. And maybe some of you grew up very poor in a poor situation, and you've been there before. But I would say there's a high, high, high percentage of us right now in this room that you never, ever thought to yourself, I wonder if I'll eat dinner tonight. We're blessed. We really are. And God has challenged us to have self-control, to control our appetites rather than allowing them to control us. Something else Scripture gives us a warning about in this area when it comes to Um, overeating. 
when it comes to a healthy lifestyle is don't eat too much sugar. It's been well documented. Some of you, if you've dove into it, we, we really have a sugar problem in our country. A lot of health issues that we have in our country is because we are overloaded with sugar. The biggest obesity problem that we really have in our country is we have so much sugar. Now, listen, I have a sweet tooth. I do. Um, until I moved back here, there's a place, a, a grocery chain. It's a higher-end grocery chain called Fresh Market. Now, the only reason I went to Fresh Market had to do nothing with the food that was good there at Fresh Market that was very expensive, like a Whole Foods-type deal, right? And, uh, but they carried nationwide homemade UDF ice cream. And so <laughs> when I would go, I would buy like four or five of them and put them in the freezer. So here I go into this healthy store. Here I am. I got like a stack of ice cream. And the, the teller would always be like checking me out here. I'm like, that's a lot of ice cream. I'm like, yeah, my wife eats a lot. That's what I was <laughs> saying. It was a lie. A taste from home. But it's biblical, actually. It, biblically, it warns us in Proverbs 25, do you like honey? Yes. In other words, do you like sugar? Yes. Don't eat too much, or it will make you sick. It will. When it comes to exercise, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, says, for physical training is of some value. But godliness has values in all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. So the Bible doesn't say, like, you shouldn't exercise. Uh, it doesn't say that uh, exercise isn't of some value. But there's a reason to take care of these temporary bodies in which God has given us. It would be for spiritual reasons. You know, I've asked the Lord years ago, and um, years ago, I asked the Lord, because it's in the Ten Commandments, that honor your father and mother, that the days uh, of your life will be long upon the earth, that the word that God giveth thee, because of the way you treated and honored your parents. And I've done that. I have. Even as a kid. I wasn't a perfect kid, but I honored my parents. And I've asked the Lord, God, um, as long as I'm healthy and I'm able, let me live until I'm 90. And so if he does, you got me for a while, all right? I'm just saying, unless the Lord tarries. But to 90 years of age. And I'm like, you know what? If I'm going to ask the Lord to let me live until I'm 90 and be physically able, I need to hold up my end as well. And so in 2018, I remember it was October 2018, we had um, there in South Carolina, we had, I don't know, about 10 people or so joining the church. And... And um, I, I'm introducing these people in front of the church. Normally, I don't, I don't need, like, notes of people. I can remember names pretty well. And, uh, and so I'm introducing these people. And, and I just wasn't eating right. I wasn't exercising. And, like, I just had brain fog, right? And, and I couldn't blame COVID because it was 2018. And, and so I'm in front of the whole church. It was, a, it was packed that day. And I'm talking to the church, introducing these, these sweet people, and I'm going to this one family and introducing them, and I'm like, I'm forgetting their names. And I'm like, what is wrong with me? Now, now it gets better, all right? Because I'm introducing them, and it's my daughter's best friend's family. <laughs> gets better, it gets worse. I pick this girl up with my daughter every day from school, and I can't remember her name in front of the whole church. Like, oh my gosh, I wanted to punch myself in the face. And I'm like, I'm, I'm going to dedicate myself. Now, I don't always eat right, but I try to watch my calories. And from that day, though, I decided I was going to work out every week. And consistently, I work out. And let me tell you, for stress, it will help you greatly. To keep you mentally sharp, it will help you tremendously. And when you end up eating too much sugar, which would also be in that carb category, it doesn't, you're not as sharp as what you normally, what normally would be. It makes 
a difference. Now, I'm not saying I never forget anything, all right? But I can tell a difference from 2018 to 2024. So for the last five, six years, that's what I do. And I, I make it something that is not a choice. It's what I do. And when I'm feeling lazy and I don't feel like it, I do it anyway. And when you make a choice in your life that I'm going to take care of myself, because I'm, if I'm asking God to let me live till I'm 90, to further the kingdom of God, to let him use me in any way possible, I want to hold up my end as well. And so that's what I'm trying to do. And I want to encourage you to do the same thing. Regardless of what age you are, there's something you can do. There's something which you can, you can make yourself better. You can, when it comes to exercise, maybe you start off small. You know, um, every now and then, believe it or not, I give my wife a hard time every now and then. And, and my daughter, which I was glad to have my daughter and my wife up here singing today. And uh, my daughter likes to dance quite a bit, as you can tell. And um, I think she's just half Baptist. I don't think she's full Baptist. But um, she loves when I point that out and that kind of thing. But um, I'm going to move on. All right, let's go. Choose kindness. Choose kind. Every Christian should choose kindness. Kindness costs you nothing. It really does. You ever notice some of the, the most important things in life that make us feel good, whether we do them or we receive them, are things that are really free in life. It costs you nothing. And choosing kindness is one of those things that makes you feel good when you choose kindness and when you receive kindness. Like it makes your day. Choose kindness. And this is the golden rule. The golden rule is a name given by, to a principle of Jesus taught on his sermon, the Sermon on, uh, on the Mount. The actual words of the golden rule are not found in Scripture, just like, well, Sermon on the Mount. It, technically, itself, that term is not found in Scripture either. But these titles were later added by different Bible translation teams in order to make the Bible easier to remember. But the phrase golden rule, and um, it's in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. It says, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. I love how Jesus puts that. He said, I'm going to sum up the law from Genesis to the whole Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, and the prophets. I'm going to sum it all up. I mean, Jesus is just narrowing it right down. He says, so in everything, do to others as you'd have them do to you to you. Now, there are some so-called experts on religion that will try to point out that, oh, well, that just came from some other religion. The golden rule is really not a Christian thing. It's just something that, you know, Jesus took from somebody else. But what's so interesting is when you end up looking at Hinduism and some of the other world's religions, it's more of a negative command, a do not command. And I'm going to quote a little bit. This is what Hinduism says. In um, one of their, their, uh, their books that they have that I cannot pronounce the name. I won't bother trying. But it says, this sums up, the, uh, this is a sum of duty. Do not do to others what would cause pain if done to you. In Buddhism, hurt not others in ways that you yourself would find hurtful. And while these sayings are similar to the golden rule, they are stated negatively and, um, and re rely on passivity. And so Jesus' golden rule is a positive command. It's to show love proactively. And so Eastern religions say refrain from doing. Jesus and his words, and when it comes to the golden rule, is do. Loving others is a true mark of Christianity. Loving others is a true mark of Christianity. There are some who think it's knowledge, and I'm all for knowledge. I'm all for reading the Bible. I'm all for studying the Bible. But knowledge is not the true mark of Christianity. Love is. We must look in the mirror and go and ask ourselves, as Christians, as believers, Am I choosing love? Am I loving others?
Am I loving others who disagree with me? doesn't mean you approve, but am I willing to show love? You know, I come from a family that loves to argue. Not in a mean way. I don't mean like yell at each other type. Well, it probably gets a little louder. My family's kind of loud, to be honest with you. And we get around the table and we get on subject of politics and religion and so on. Like We get loud. We don't get angry. We just get loud is what we do. And um, and this is what I, this is what I learned as, as, as I grew and matured in my faith and talking with other people is that I used to think I had to win the argument. And what I found is I might win the argument, but I might lose the person. And what I realized is I was less worried about, now I'm less worried about winning the argument. It doesn't mean you don't prepare or that you're not knowledgeable about a subject, but I'm more focused on winning the person. And that's how Jesus was as well. And that's how we should be. It's not that we ignore the truth. But Christian, we live in a world where we hear less and less about the golden rule. So in everything, do to others what you'd have them do to you. And this sums up the law and the prophets. Jesus said, this sums up, this sums up the Old Testament. Choose self-discipline in your spiritual life. When we hear the word discipline, we think of maybe being disciplined as a child or as a teenager or our boss disciplining us for something we did wrong. When we hear the word discipline, we don't, we don't really like that. But what about self-discipline? Self-discipline. You see, when it comes to self-discipline, it is a proactive measure we take in our lives so that we will limit the reactive nature of being disciplined from outside sources. Self-discipline causes us to make right choices in our lives that lead to positive results. And I'll say this, while loving is a sign of Christian maturity, no question, a sign of Christian maturity and growing is self-discipline. Do you have discipline in your life? Do you look at your life and go, you know what? I know I need to improve in this area here. Maybe you're not in the word, uh, word of God consistently, and you know you need that. Will you have the self-discipline to do that? When it comes to maybe your finances, you realize they're out of whack, and you need to get a handle on those things. Will you have the self-discipline? And self-discipline is just something each and every day that you're doing, and, and it becomes a habit. It takes about three weeks for that self-discipline to become a habit, for you to get focused, and for it to become a part of your life. And what you must do in order to have self-discipline is, this is what I do. This is what I do for my family. This is what I do in my marriage. This is what I do in my own individual life. I, this is what I'm going I'm going to be self-disciplined in this area. First Corinthians tells us this. So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. You see, self-discipline, it prepares us. It prepares us. And in fact, Luke 16.10 says, if you're faithful in the little things, you'll be faithful in the large ones. But if you are dishonest in the little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And as you're self-disciplined in your life, it's going to prepare you for the things that are to come. And if you are being faithful in the little things in your life, God will bless you and bring greater things. Now, this is not a health-wealth point of the message, but when God sees that my child, my son or daughter, is taking what I give them, even though it's little, and they're responsible with it, I'm going to give them more. And as they grow, as they mature, and um, God can give us more. You know, think about when it comes to money in your life. 
Could you imagine, and, and some of you that are a little bit older, now aging up, could you imagine if God had given you $10 million when you were 20? Just think about it for a moment. The crazy stuff you would have bought with $10 million when you were 20 years old. I mean, a couple of you, if you had $10 million when you were 20, like, I mean, let's face it, like you bought a Coke and an ice cream or whatever for five cents. You would have been buying all kinds of stuff. I, I mean, in our lives, like, we weren't ready for it. We, that would have been great. We weren't ready for it. And maybe, just maybe, there's blessings in which God holds back because we do not have the self-discipline to handle it, to deal with it. Whether it's money or whether it's a certain responsibility when it comes to a job, maybe when it comes to a promotion. I mean, in your workplace, if you're constantly late, if you're constantly doing a bad job, do you think they're going to promote you? And if you've ever been a boss or you've ever had responsibility over people and you see that they care about the little things, that even when they're walking through the business area and they see trash on the ground that's normally not there, they don't go, you know what, that's not my job. You see, one who's a good steward, one who cares about wherever they're at, will pick up the trash even. I'm not saying you go around the whole place and picking up trash, but you care about what it looks like. You care about the little things. The little things matter more than what we realize. And if you're willing to take care of the little things in your life, God will give you more. He realizes you'll be faithful in the big ones. Now, maybe in your mind, like, oh, but I'll be faithful if, if I have the right job and I have the right house and I have the right car and I have the right this and right that. Will you? Are you? See, self-discipline, it, it prepares us. Self-discipline increases, increases our focus and productivity. Proverbs 13 says, Lazy people want much but give little, but those who work hard will prosper. 16.16 16 there in Proverbs says, How <clears throat> much better is to get wisdom than gold, to get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. Hard work is a part of experiencing the next level God has for us. And if anyone, if anyone in your workplace should be the hardest worker, it should be a Christian. I'm going to say it again. The hardest workers at your job should be you. Should be the Christian. Because you care, one, because whatever you do, you're doing it unto the Lord. That whether you eat, drink, whatever you do, you do it unto the Lord. And you care because you care about your witness. You care about what you do. You care about what other people see because you know that you reflect Jesus Christ. You should care. Here's number four. Is choose, choose to be more like Jesus. Ephesians tells us in chapter 4, verse 14 through 16. It says, then... We will no longer be immature like Christians, like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. And he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. And as each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. We live in a society today that loves the love of Christianity but doesn't want to hear the truth. There's even some churches that have prompted for We'll just focus on love and little truth or no truth. And in fact, that's not love. If you're not willing to tell someone the truth and yet hide it from them, that's not love. That's deception. In fact, you're really showing you really don't care about them. But biblically, we see 
we see, as it says here in Ephesians, instead we will speak the truth in love. And in fact, that's a part of showing, it says, growing in every way more and more like Christ. And so as we grow in Christ, as we become more like Jesus, we're willing to speak the truth in love. Now, if we're high truth with little love, it can easily become legalism. If we're high love with little or no truth, it e- easily walks its way into heresy and false teaching about the truths of God. But as we follow the Lord, we'll speak the truth in love. Now, why is this such a big deal? Because we live in a world today that focuses more on the truth in their minds being what they feel that day versus what the truth is. The truth does not care about your feelings. I want to say it again. Truth or the facts do not care about your feelings. God's Word says, as you grow in Christ, you're going to give the facts, you're going to give the truth, but you're going to do it with love. And you say, I like that preacher. Let's do that. So when you get in a difficult situation, whether it's at work, maybe it's with family, maybe it's someone that's not living right and you love them, they're in your family, and you're like, what do I do with this? What should I do? I may say something that may offend them. You might. You may say something that, that they may not want to talk to you, me again. Like, I, don't, I can't handle that. I get that. That can be hard. What should you do? Speak the truth and love. It's a command from Scripture. It also shows us becoming more and more like Christ. You say, but, well, if I'm becoming more and more like Christ, when I read the Scriptures, there's times in which Jesus said certain things and people didn't like it. Yes. Sometimes people aren't going to like everything that we say, even when we say it in love, even though it's the truth. Here's the result. Here's the result as we follow Christ and we're more like Christ. We choose obedience before sacrifice. We choose faith even when I'm fearful. We choose worship over worry. We choose trust when you are clouded by doubt. We choose to love when I want to hate. Truth is stronger than falsehood. Good is stronger than evil. Love is stronger than hatred. And life is stronger than death. And here's the last one as we wrap this up. Choose to share Jesus with others. And these five, and you could probably add more. We could probably have a top 10 things every Christian should do in 2024, but we don't have that kind of time. But every one of these is something that we should be doing that's biblical, that God's calling us to do, and choose to share Jesus with others. Now, we could easily look at this point and go, but man, I've never done that. Or two, I don't know how to do that. Or we also could say, but I'm afraid to do that. People might know that I'm a Christian. People might make fun of me. People may not want to be my friend. Yeah, you're right. You're right. But that doesn't matter. Because at the end of the day, it's about our obedience to the Lord. It's about the mission. It's about spreading the gospel. It's about helping people know that they can have a life and live a life they've never lived before in Christ. You see, as a church, it's wonderful to have fellowship. I think we do that very well. That's a part of church. As a church, we have our life groups, and it's wonderful. It's good. It's part of what we do. It's biblical. But if we do fellowship and we teach the Bible in our groups, 
We teach the Bible on Sunday morning. We worship God. And those are all good. But we never look outside of our four walls and care about the community and the people around us and sharing the gospel. We're missing. We're missing the mission. In Luke 8, and I'll paraphrase, Jesus explained that human hearts are like types of soil. And the seed that is sown is the same in each case, but the people receive the word of God differently and respond differently. And I can't always help where the seed lands and what kind of soil it lands on. And in that parable, Jesus doesn't hold them responsible for where it lands. He only holds them responsible if they're sowing it and throwing it and planting it. And so Christian, be a sower of the gospel. Invite, encourage, share the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you need to stand in front of a mirror and practice how you would simply share the gospel, stand in front of a mirror. If you need help in sharing the gospel, myself, Austin, there's others here in the church that would love to help you. And make no doubt, God has placed you where he's placed you, in your workplace, in your family, to be the light, to be the salt, to spread the gospel and to tell others about Jesus. And every one of us, we have a circle of influence of people that know us, that see us every day. And we have an impact on them, more than, more than what we realize oftentimes, that I'll never be able to impact or touch or see. Some of those are people that you love and they love you, that you care about deeply. And if it's not you who shares the gospel to them, then who? If not now, then when? You can do it. You might go, well, I'm a little scared. I'm a little timid. They might reject it. They may not want to listen. They may not know what to say. It's natural to be a little afraid. But when you're a little afraid doing something for God and the kingdom of God, you know what that means? You're stretching your faith. Can I tell you a true story about stretching and trying to build? And as you are stretching and you are working out your faith, you may at times try something that you just can't quite get. Now, October of 2018, I'm like, I'm going back to the gym. I'm going to do this very first day I go, I forgot that the bar weighed 45 pounds. And I put two 25s on each side. I'm going to, that, that equals 225 pounds. Most men can't do 225 pounds. I could not do 225 pounds. And I went to go lift it and I realized I was in trouble. Now, many gyms will have these arms that will be there to catch that weight. I was not smart enough to do such a thing. And the whole gym was looking at me as I'm trying to lift 225 pounds. It was loud, it was messy, but I survived. But I kept going. I still can't lift 225 pounds. <laughs> but my point is this. Some of you have been saved for a while and you love Jesus. 
And maybe you got discouraged once. Maybe you got made fun of once. Maybe you, you just wanted to quit and you didn't want to share Jesus anymore. Keep sharing Jesus. Someone might make fun of you. Keep sharing Jesus. It may be uncomfortable. You're not always know what to say. Keep sharing Jesus. It's what we're called to do. Because of you and your obedience, I believe you'll see the fruit of seeing someone baptized because you invited them. And you'll go, yes, I see it. I feel it. I get it. And you can do it. So in 2024, you won't do everything right as a Christian. You will mess up. You may miss some opportunities, but in 2024, make the decision today that you're going to live a life of obedience and you're going to be proactive in obeying the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love for us. We're thankful that you hear us, that you're patient, you're long-suffering, and that you're always working on us, making us and shaping us into the image of Jesus Christ. You're not done. May this year be a year of fruitfulness for our church, of fruitfulness in our own individual lives. But God, I pray, I pray that it's not just fruitful because whether one made more money or made less or changed a job or bought a new house or bought a new car, but that will look back on the end of this year look back at the end of this year and realize they are not the same Christian they were. They'll realize how much they've grown and how blessed they really are. We love you. We praise you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Thank you for being here.